Hi there and welcome to The Brave, a podcast all about resilience and dealing with the challenges and complexity of life in the 21st century. I'm your host Beth and Vincent and in each episode we take a different look at a different aspect of resilience, whether that's personal resilience, so mental, emotional and physical resilience, or the adaptability, robustness and resilience of people, places and systems. Now this week we're going into the past. We're taking a little bit of a journey back to 1348, which is a date that should be ringing some alarm bells if you know your history. And that's actually the date that the Black Death reached England in June of 1348. Now, I'm not going to lie, this episode has been partly inspired by um, all the news I'm reading around coronavirus, which at the moment, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know how it's going to spread. We don't know necessarily what the mortality rate is, whether it's between the one and two percent that it seems to be at the moment, whether it's greater or lesser, and just generally what's going to happen. But thinking about this and reading all the news, I realised that we actually have a case study for what happens to society when there is a massive pandemic of a disease that has mortality rate of 30 to 60 percent, and that is the Black Death. So we're going to look at a couple of different things, really. I'm going to tell you a little bit about life in the 14th century, just to set the scene. And then we're going to look at the immediate impact of the Black Death and obviously the death toll, which was immense, and some of the psychological impacts of that. But what I'm really interested in is the fact that while it did kill a massive proportion of the population, and that really can't be understated, and it was to a level that I don't think we can imagine today, life did go on and society didn't collapse, which is, for me, the most surprising thing about it, actually. And there was quite a big, massive rebound, and there were actually, weirdly, some positive side effects to the Black Death, uh, which probably couldn't be foreseen. So yeah, let's dive straight in. So to start off with a little bit of context around the Black Death. So it's actually the second outbreak of a um, bacterium called Yersinia pestis. There was actually a first plague pandemic which occurred in the 6th century that's known to historians as the Justinian Plague. But by the time kind of the Black Death hit in the 1340s, late 1340s, memory of this earlier plague had really kind of leached away and people kind of weren't so aware of it unless you were actually potentially a monk who had access to some of the very ancient sources that mentioned it. Now the Black Death, um, it actually probably originated, scientists think, in uh, Central or Eastern Asia, where actually a lot of very virulent diseases tend to come from so it's a bit of a hot spot for this kind of thing but the Black Death initially travelled during kind of 1347 along the major trade routes so from Asia into Europe flowing through to Italy Florence was particularly hard hit and there are accounts of the time of bodies piling up in the street and um, it just it sounds extremely chaotic and people were they didn't really know what hit them basically then moves through Italy into France into Spain and it finally only hits England in summer of 1348. Now I think it's quite interesting to understand that probably people in England at the time had been hearing reports of the plague, that they had heard how it hit ports like Genoa and other places as well and they would have understood that there was this kind of something was coming for them essentially that couldn't be stopped and nobody had been able to cure it. Um, Medicine at the time while not as kind of basic as maybe we would imagine it to be today, they did have some medical understanding but 
really no one knew how to cure it or to stop it at all it seemed to be ravaging through towns and cities alike and actually in Avignon the Pope who was there at the time um, this is the time of the Great Schism and the Pope there had um, taken part in a massive almost parade to show God that people were repentant of their sins and people were flagellating they were whipping themselves to try and repent because they saw the plague as a plague from God essentially and people were very kind of well, obviously upset about it but wondering you know why has God sent this to us is there anything we can do to redeem ourselves to kind of make God turn things around but obviously um, that didn't seem to work so really if you were in England in kind of 1347 you, you knew this was coming it wasn't a surprise to communities but there did seem to be some understanding as I said medical knowledge wasn't great but they didn't know about kind of it was transmitted from human to human or it seemed to be human to human. We know it's now due to um, fleas and rats and all of that. But they did understand a semblance of kind of quarantine and the importance of that, which I think is really fascinating. In terms of mortality, it really kind of depended where you were. And some um, communities reported pretty low levels. So one in five people died. And some communities were up to kind of three out of five people or even four out of five people. So the mortality rate really ranges. But it's estimated that the total world population in kind of the 1340s was 475 million. And after the Black Death, it was reduced to around kind of 350 million, which is a massive drop. And it actually took Europe in particular 200 years to really reach pre-plague population levels which just shows how many people it killed and before we dive into what we're really interested in which is kind of the impact of the plague and how society was either adaptable or robust in the sense of this massive massive population drop um England in the 14th century was a very interesting time. So this is actually a period I studied at university. So I have read some of the source materials while I'm not an expert and I am almost 10 years out of university. Gosh, that's uh, very terrifying to think about. But I do know this period in, in some manner. And um, England at the time had a very strict social hierarchy. So you had this idea of the three estates, which were the people who prayed, so the religious orders, who basically did service to their community by praying to God and providing kind of religious structure, religious life. You then had the people who fought, so that was the gentry who owed fealty to the king and rendered, you know, service, military service in times of need. And then you have the people who laboured, the class who laboured. So these were kind of, um, the majority of the population fell under this. And these were people who either rented land from uh, landowners. They may have owned the land themselves, the kind of yeoman class. Uh, or they essentially were casual labourers, so they were hired hands, and these people in particular, before the Black Death in the 14th century, were really struggling. There was massive population pressure, and we can tell this because people were starting to cultivate what is known as marginal land, so land that's not particularly suited to pasture or agriculture, but because population pressure was so great this should all sound very familiar um people were forced to kind of live farm on places that weren't ideal and also generally the kind of daily wages for for these laborers were very very low and that's important to remember when we come into things in a little bit post black death and essentially these people were known as rustics and life was hard it wasn't quite a subsistence economy it may have been for some people but generally trade was was 
pretty prevalent in England. We weren't isolated from other countries. We did a great deal of trade with um, the low countries, France, and we traded in wool and cloth and things like that. And there was quite a vibrant economy in the 14th century. And um, this was kind of, well, we'll come on to how it was potentially dismantled, was it dismantled, and the impact of the plague. So as I said in the introduction, um, when the Black Death hit, it did wipe out 40 to 60% of the population it encountered. And the reason we can calculate this is we have um, manorial court rolls, we have information from monasteries at the time, so we can get this kind of rough mortality rate. It's hard to basically do it in any exact scientific way you know for the city of London in particular the records aren't great we know from contemporary accounts that um, there was a lot of death and I think this is one of the things I take away from the immediate hit of the plague is that people were just kind of they were bewildered they didn't really understand what was going on and you get these reports of bodies piling up in the street and there's not enough people to bury the dead and people are either you know looking after loved ones or there's cases where they flee their loved ones because of fear of catching the infection themselves and it paints this really kind of bleak dark picture of that time when it hit and I think for many people it must have felt like literally the end of the world you know your entire community is crumbling around you and that must have been extremely terrifying and again it's also interesting to remember at these times you know religious life was so much a part of people's identity people's kind of way of conceptualizing the world and in a way that perhaps unless you are heavily religious today you can't necessarily empathize with but they had this idea you know it was catholic at the time as well this is before the reformation but this idea of a good death and part of a good death is having a priest there to say masses at the end to hear your confession having a funeral procession with loads of candles all your community around you and that was meant to kind of help you bypass some of purgatory and get into heaven faster essentially and then you would have funeral masses said for you in the church hopefully after you died if someone paid for it for the year after your death but when the plague hit you know it hit religious people and lay people alike so there really weren't enough priests to go around and say these masses so people were not only in fear of their kind of physical um, bodies and you know their physical kind of death but they were also extremely worried about their religious death as well and again I think it's probably quite hard for us now to empathize with that innate fear of, of this wasn't the plague wasn't just putting into peril their lives at this very moment in this world it was a world and beyond that as well so in terms of kind of immediate impact obviously high mortality can't get around that the um plague actually had kind of almost three sets of symptoms so it was caused by the Yersinia pestis bacterium which had almost three forms it could take you could either get bubonic plague which is the plague most people kind of know of with the buboes that would appear in your kind of armpits or your groin they'd be extremely painful you'd die an extremely painful death over the course of a week or so you then had something called pneumonic plague and pneumonic plague you, you hear in the source material of the time of people coughing up blood and dying very quickly and very painfully and um, they were basically suffering from this it was attacking their their lung tissue and then you have um, a rarer form of plague which was um, septicemic plague which was essentially where the plague pathogen entered into your bloodstream and you get reports of the time of people literally getting a bit of a fever and dropping down dead in a couple of hours and that was probably they think this septicemic plague variant 
And again, can't understate how terrifying it was. Generally, um, because most people, whether you lived in a city or you lived in a kind of a more rural community, you were very much part of a community. So you start to see a bit of community breakdown. Um, people are kind of trying to look after themselves, look after their neighbours. Trade generally grinds to a halt a little bit. And, um, you know, it hits in kind of spring to summer of the, of the 1348. So luckily it hits just after people have started kind of sowing their spring crops. So it doesn't necessarily disrupt the agricultural cycle too much, but um, it does re- disrupt a lot of things like um, you hear of animals dying in the fields because no one's there to kind of look after them or it's not their first priority to look after them. So the immediate impact was extremely disruptive. But I think it's really interesting to note that this is a society that um, is used to disruptive events, essentially. So you actually get earlier on in the century, between 1314 and 1316, a massive... period of famine essentially uh, there's massive harvest failure really really bad weather really bad conditions and then also a um, disease that affects the sheep stock as well and uh, they think about 10 percent of the population in england died from this so this is a society that within living re- memory has had to deal with some pretty traumatic things so I think they were probably a bit more robust than maybe we give them credit for. And obviously, if you're living with the kind of um, ebbs and flows of an agricultural cycle, you will also have a lot of reserves if you can afford them. So people did have reserves of food and they weren't necessarily living in such a consumer driven culture as we are today. So they weren't so much in, in want of, you know, 10 Amazon deliveries a week and things like that. But it can't be understated that the immediate impact was extremely disruptive. But in terms of longer term impact, and as I said in the beginning, you know, society didn't break down. We are still here today, um, (laughs) which is evidence of the fact that humanity didn't die out. And actually, because of the the really strong kind of cultural customs, I suspect, and the strong kind of societal order that there was before, there was still kind of a framework to hang lots of things off. Not that this framework didn't come under attack. So what you've got to imagine is this is an agricultural society. Um, Most of the work is undertaken by people labouring. They didn't have machines, you know, combine harvesters and all of that. So they needed people to work the fields and lords needed people to work the fields and pay them service and things like that. So actually one of the really interesting things in the kind of immediate and long term period after Black Death is there is a massive, um, across the country, uh, massive kind of wage inflation happens essentially as um, people are kind of realising there's less people to work the fields, you know, whereas before you would have people clambering for a job to come and, you know, work for a penny a day on your field, whereas now there's not so many people to go about and the people who are left are demanding more simply it's kind of market economics in in practice and i think initially landowners were were facing um a difficult choice it's you know do we pay these higher wages and get the stuff done that we need to get done because you've got to remember that the value of the landowner's land is decreasing unless someone's working on it or do we kind of try and keep wages low and and try and keep the rustics in their place because if we pay them higher wages now are they going to want higher wages in the future and this is actually so much of concern that there is an ordinance passed and the audience ordinance of laborers which is in june 30 1349 so pretty soon after the black death and this is essentially to try and peg wages at the pre-black death level because people are so concerned 
with this wage inflation and people were not only asking for more money you know they were asking for a, a meat-based meal with their work services customer providing food to your laborers and normally it would just be kind of like pottage or some kind of gruel and now people are asking for meat and what you generally find as well because um the population has essentially pretty much halved. There is a massive kind of depression of prices for food in particular. So barley, rye and all of that becomes a lot cheaper for people to buy. But interestingly, wheat perhaps doesn't. Uh, And that might be because people are kind of upgrading their food choices because they can afford it and because it's cheap. So obviously white bread was you know, kind of high class status symbol. In a way it isn't today, but it was back then. So people were perhaps buying a bit more of that. So wheat wasn't as depressed. But then you find the prices for things like um, goods that are made by someone, made by an artisan or a craftsman, they tend to skyrocket at this period because there's less people around to make them. And because there's less, they're charging a lot more for their labour. And this this really starts to undermine the fabric of society a little bit. And actually, as you go throughout the rest of the 14th century, um, some would argue that it accumulates in things like the Peasants' Revolt in 1381. And there's a lot more... Um, friction between the landed class and the kind of rustic class and the rustic class get a bit of an upper hand just because they've got that bargaining power. I think also really interesting for me is the impact of women of the Black Death. So it is um, hypothesised that after the Black Death and they can tell this based on manorial court records and records of women who are employed and paying kind of either fines or or um, they're being hauled to court because essentially they're charging too much for their ale or whatever. But women are entering the workforce a little bit more, again, because of that population pressure, which economically frees women in a way they had not necessarily been as free before. And also what you tend to find during this period as well is people start delaying marriage. And that could be because... um, as you see in countries today where women are more educated, they have more economic power. Uh, perhaps they are trying to um, make the most out of that freedom or maybe just just people <laughs> traumatised and don't want to get married as frequency, frequently. But also there is um, something in the fact that, you know, the kind of, I think the religious aspect, to go back to that again, is something we can't comprehend. But, you know, um, religious life was very strict, you know, so no sex outside of marriage and all of that. But if, you know, you've been keeping to that before the Black Death and doing everything properly, and yet still this horrible thing happened that killed most of your family, you'd almost think like, screw it a little bit. And so you do get a rise in um, people co- cohabiting outside of marriage and sharing the same bed and the priests get very angry about this and het up about this, which <laughs> is quite funny when you read the records. I shouldn't laugh, but um, it is a big concern to people because, you know, spiritual life is so, so important. As I said at the beginning of this episode, I was really interested to go back into the past to look at how a society actually dealt with a massive population decrease and all the disruption that came from an extremely virulent and fatal disease that ravaged all of the population you know no one was immune from the lowest people of society to the highest and I think it's really interesting to note that while kind of the initial period the couple of months where the plague was at its peak were extremely horrible for a number of reasons you know both psychological to the economy to religious life it was extremely disruptive and people lost their family you know whole families were wiped out by this I can't underplay how scary and terrifying it must have been 
But what it in, what is interesting is that in the period that followed the Black Death, actually for a certain number of the population, conditions were much better than previous to it due to kind of the increase in wages and the newfound freedoms they had. So I'm not suggesting that modern society should follow this model at all or that um, a high range of mortality in our society would have the same outcome, nor should it be something we ever, ever want because, you know, humans are humans and no one should wish that kind of horrific fatality on anyone. But society did bounce back in a relatively short space of time in the 1340s and 50s. So I hope you really enjoyed this episode and kind of a bit of an unusual look at resilience in society. If you want to find out more about The Brave, you can find us online at bethanvincent.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at The Brave Listen. And if you want to drop us an email, please do on hello at bethanvincent.com. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast in general, I would be so grateful if you could leave a rating and or a review. It just means I know that you like it and other people get to find out about the podcast too because the more people like it the more the algorithms decide they want to show it to more people and all of that but until next time I will leave it there hope you have a wonderful week